Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father God, we would ask that this time that we have right now to be in your word, to hear your voice, that we can have peace from the outside world, not be weighed down by the things that might be rolling around in our minds. But instead, Lord, just take this bit of time, as small as it is, And remind ourselves the beauty and the glory of the gospel. The beauty of your word. And that every time your word is preached and taught, good comes. And that good comes from not so much the preaching of the word, but that that spirit of yours that lives within us. That's present with us. That says to us, you shall never be alone again. And so, Lord, in that space, let us reside this morning as we look to grow closer to you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. So I had a nice morning here in Fremont. In my mind, your town, city, however you classify it, is long and wide and a little bizarre in how it's shaped. And so I went to downtown, which didn't feel downtown by the time I came here, but there is a really cool car show going on down there, if you like old cars. Went to a nice coffee shop down there and recognized as I had my nice cup of devout coffee, I am sitting in this nice little bench. I go to look at my manuscript that I had and realize I printed the wrong thing. So that was an exciting moment. Then I thought, oh, that's okay. I'm going to take my iPad. I'll fire that up. And started doing that and quickly remembered the time that I did use my iPad and the battery went out. And I said, ah, I'm still having some after effects from that. So I'm not going to go that route. So I feverishly wrote in my Bible here some of what I'd like to share. Because for me... This passage is tattooed on my heart. It's not just simply something I would choose to preach on a Sunday morning, but it's something that I need every single day. 
So it's a joy to preach from this text. It's an honor to preach from this text. I, I have three points, I suppose. The first is simply that Jesus' story is God's story. So we're going to unpack that. And that's going to be a sort of a, a preamble to the text. I want to talk about the setting a little bit. And I'm going to tie it in with the Apostles' Creed a little bit because the last time I preached this, it was in a series going through the Apostles' Creed. So in my work, I made some connections that normally I would not do, but you're all going to get it. So you're going to get a little Apostles' Creed, maybe give you a little bit of vision for the Apostles' Creed and why that's a good thing for us to do in our baptism, it's, or uh, in, our, in our communion. It's a good thing for us to do in our baptism, why it's a good thing for us to look at. Although not God's Word, certainly an excellent statement revealing God's Word to us and walking us up to the doorstep of God's Word. Then I want to look at just two points. Uh, from there, uh, Jesus' story is creation's story, and Jesus' story is our story. Uh, the text itself lays out a little bit different, um, or at least it has a little bit more to it. I think those first four or five verses there are revealing Jesus to us in his role of creation, then discipleship, and then uh, shepherding. It's that shepherding piece that we won't dive into a ton. I had a stop at 23, and I think you'll be happy because if we dived into the shepherding piece, then we go to about 55 minutes to an hour of me speaking, which is not great for anybody. Um, and so as we jump into this, I thought I would just share maybe just a, a, a real helpful picture for me from my own life. I, I like the idea of liking musicals, okay? I like the idea that in my intellect and in my artistic, poetic self, that loving musicals would make me seem profound and deep. However, the reality is I have fallen asleep at every single musical I've ever gone to. I fall asleep in the first act, I go to intermission, I get two cups of coffee, I fall asleep in the set. They're that boring to me. I have tons of coffee in me, tons of caffeine, and I still fall asleep mostly because I have no idea what's going on. I get lost. I like, you know, Les Miserables, this great story of grace and, and mercy, and you have the, 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 the whole stealing scene at the beginning, and yada, 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 and just, it's amazing. And I fall asleep except for one musical. I did not fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, well, it might not be the most amazing musical, but I just found this story incredibly profound in light of Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And it was the musical Wicked. It's this story that's a bit of a reversal. I grew up, I don't know about you, watching... The Wizard of Oz, and it was sort of the only thing on TV. Grew up out in Gilroy. We had three channels, really only two because one was just super fuzzy. And The Wizard of Oz came on often. And so know the story of Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Lion and the Tin Man and Oz and the great, you know, the whole deal. Love that story. But Wicked spins it around a little bit. And it says, what if the story isn't about Dorothy at all? 
What if there's more people than just one in the story? What if instead this is a story between two witches? One who lost their sister and the heartbreak of the one who remained alive. Fascinating. How does this relate to Colossians 1? Colossians 1, starting with verse 15, going through the rest of Colossians 1, is trying to enlighten you about the truth that your life story is not about you. As a matter of fact, all of Scripture is not your story. It's the story of someone else. And this someone else is not only the central figure of this story, but preeminent in all creation. Everything that we see to the cars outside, to the pavement, to to the clothes we wear, to the sun that rises, all of it finds its worth and its value and its significance in Jesus. That's a lot. I believe making Jesus preeminent is the riskiest yet most important decision you can make every day. It goes beyond just taking your relationship with God and making it an ethical thing or, or sort of making it something like an Occam's razor sort of thing. Where I, I mean, There's got to be some God out there, and so I'm going to choose one just in case. Choosing to see Jesus preeminent for your life every single day means that you're going to have to risk something. And that something is your life is not your own. Your life does not belong to you. You were designed for something greater than this. And that's what Colossians 1 is talking about. But even that to me, like, even that to me seems just that little bit too distant. Like, there's a good preacher thing to say, right? There's a good, like, solid Christian Bible study leader thing to say. Like, hey, guys, your life isn't your own. There's something more. Jesus, he's the answer to every riddle and question. Sunday school answer. And then I sit back and I ask myself this question of the text. Who wrote it? And why did he write it? Good questions to ask a text, right? Elementary age English. For those of you in elementary school, right? Your teachers, you read a story, find out its context, you develop that, and then you understand what is being communicated. Who wrote this? If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long while, you know it's Paul. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, you know that he was in prison. But some of you might not know that at all. And so it's good to hear. This was written by a man who loved Jesus, experienced Jesus, was made aware of the gospel by Jesus directly, was commissioned to plant churches all over the Roman Empire, all over. That was his job, to plant these churches. Every single church he planted was a mess. Pastors going all over the place. Y'all experienced that before? 
elders not knowing what to do. Like, what are we doing with this crazy group of people who've come together? Paul started most of them. And now he's in prison. And he's hearing all the stories. This is happening over in Colossae, and this is happening over in Ephesus, and this is happening. Oh, you don't even want to hear about Galatians. All this craziness is happening. He's in prison. And as he sits there, wanting to act, God doesn't let him out. Instead, he's in this prison, and all he can do is write. And as he's sitting there writing, this is what he wrote. This is what he was learning. Because believe me, just as, just as much as you all want to be preeminent in your life, which if you're honest, you do, I do, I actually think I'm pretty doggone good at living life. I can really feel proud about my accomplishments. I don't have just, I don't have just one master's. I have two. And I make sure my wife knows that pretty much every month because she just has one. <laughs> I own a house in California. Like, well, there's a miracle all by itself. <laughs> I have this great church building that we bought and you know, started with it when it was planting. And look at me, I'm a great pastor. I'm really good, right? I bet Paul felt that sometimes. I bet you feel that sometimes. And perhaps the best thing that could ever happen to you is some time in prison. I'm not going to go all prison mic on you for your office people. Maybe the best thing in the world that could happen to you, though, is that you get disconnected from the control you have in this lifetime so that you could be in the same position as Paul, so that you could get to that place where you could write something like this for yourself. I think that's what strikes me about this portion is that this is being written by a man sitting in prison, hearing about messy churches, only able to write letters while he waits to find out if he's going to be put to death or not. That's where he's at. And I just wonder if all of us could find ourselves in the midst of that story a little bit, and perhaps this could have deeper meaning for you than just learning some facts about the preeminent of Christ, which we certainly could do from this, and we could build a real nice theology book. But instead, perhaps, in that space where you want to control everything in the world, you can hear this story through that lens saying, let some stuff go. And understand that Jesus is preeminent. And so, I've already started on point one, but let's just roll through these here. Jesus' story is God's story. For the creed... The section of the creed that we were on is this part of it, the Apostles' Creed. Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. 
From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. We looked at that in two parts. And in that first part there, the suggestion was, what if this, were, this was the, the truth that Paul was wrestling with, the knowledge that he had as he began to write to the Colossians? that he recognized Jesus' story is God's story. And, and Jesus' story is that he came as a man to live with us, to walk with us, to experience our suffering, to experience our, our pain, even to experience our impending death. Flesh of my flesh, flesh of my bones. My God walks as I walk. And that Christ isn't his last name. Paul didn't confuse that, but sometimes we might, right? And good for us to acknowledge that. We hear Jesus Christ. We might think, was that his last name? It's good for us as Christians to be able to educate people. Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title, correct? And so the same way you might say President Biden, um, we are saying Jesus Christ. Those who are not equated, that just came out randomly. Um, But we recognize that Christ is his title. What does it mean? Well, by Christ, we mean that he is anointed. And who is it that gets anointed at this point that Jesus would come? Well, there's three people that get anointed. The kings get anointed, the priests get anointed, and the prophets get anointed. Well, Jesus is the last one who gets anointed to these three positions. Because in the end, Jesus is our priest. He is our prophet. He is our king. He is our Messiah. He is the Christ. He is our Savior. This is who he is. Jesus holds all of the titles. There are no names above his name. When it comes to authority and rule, he is preeminent. He is the only son of our Lord. And then further, Paul has this knowledge that he was conceived by the Holy Ghost. That Not only is Jesus fully man, but he is also fully God. And we can go to Philippians 2 and we can understand a little bit of this mystery where we can see that Jesus submitted himself to human form through this process of yielding to the Holy Spirit as he would be brought to us. It's his great humiliation to be put in this place where he is fully God and he is fully man. And the reason upon which he does these things is out of his great love for you. So here Paul knows all these things. He knows Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. He knows he's fully God. He knows he's fully man. He knows that he has humbled himself out of his great love He knows that he suffered. He knows that he was crucified and died and buried. He knows that he rose from the grave and he sits at the right hand of God. And he knows all of these things. And he knows that Jesus' story is God's story. And so to the Colossians, point two, he says, not only is Jesus' story God's story, but Jesus' story is creation's story. And he makes... No less than four points here. First, he is the image of the invisible God. In Colossae, as well as for us today, we are bombarded with images, right? 
I mean, more than ever before. If you are raising children right now, I have 17-year-old twins, an 11-year-old daughter. We understand more than ever the power of the image, don't we? Have you ever done TikTok? Have you ever even opened the app before? If you have and you're a regular TikToker, you most certainly know the power of image. I thought I understood because of Facebook and Instagram. Uh uh-uh. uh. TikTok does something that's really intense. I don't know what to do with it as a pastor, to be honest with you. Part of me is just like, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know that you could navigate this thing in a healthy way. I don't know. You know, and I always want to be quick, slow to kind of overwhelmingly make a statement about something happening that's new and current. But I'm telling you all, this flipping up of these images and like you're, that, that image is right here and you're going like this and that stuff is just blowing up your brain and it is forming an ideology in your mind. And why is it doing that? Because you were designed to look at an image and see God. That's how you work. That's how you are built. And so Jesus, when he says he's the image of the invisible God, that's meant to be a gift for you. And we are meant to understand that that image that we are given of God is not so much this and all of these pictures, but how do we experience his image? right? And we can go back to Moses and his interaction with God on the mountain where Moses is the first one who says, I'd like to see you. I'd like to be able to see you with my eyes. And God says, no, 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 no. I can't do a TikTok thing with you. Like show you pictures of myself and the party I had with the Holy Spirit last night where Jesus, you know, crashed it. Like that's not the image I can show you. There's no tweets, no tag, no, no, I can't do that. What I can do though is I can pass through you and I can fill you up. And the way in which I'm going to fill you up is with my character. And certainly that is what happened. And after God passed through Moses, it said that he just glowed. Why did he glow? Not just that he experienced the glory of God, but he glowed because he was filled up. And he knew he had something real to rest in. And Jesus is the same for us. He is the image of the invisible God. Second point on this idea of Jesus' story as creation's story. He's the firstborn of all creation. This statement gets the church in trouble just a little bit because it seems to suggest perhaps that maybe um, God the Father gave birth to Jesus after something that like godfather's here and then jesus came and that sort of messes up our story on eternality and that jesus and the father and the holy spirit are all equal so we need to pay attention to this and i'm going to describe this uh this truth to you in a way that i hope is helpful uh, just through a quick illustration okay um if i was to say to you um uh steph curry or not Steph Curry, sorry, that uh, 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 Steve Kerr was invaluable for the Warriors' win last night. For any of you that know the Golden State Warriors and know basketball, would any of you assume that 
Steve Kerr put on a jersey, jumped onto the floor with the other four teammates, and started making baskets, right? No, none of us would think that. If I was to say to you that right now the 49ers are beating the Atlanta Falcons by 14 points, which I don't know because, I mean, I don't even have my phone, so I haven't been peeking, and that Kyle Shanahan's leadership has really made a huge impact on the game, none of you would think to yourselves, Kyle suited up and started throwing the ball around, right? These are coaches. They're overseeing the game. They're leading the plan. It is in this way that Paul intends to make a statement about Jesus being the firstborn over creation. He's over it all. It is his. As the Father wills, The Son acts. And so he wants us to fully understand that he's the firstborn over all creation, and by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things visible, all things invisible were made by the Son. And not only this, not only has Jesus made all things, has he spoke those things, but they are also held together by him. And so these lives that we are living are held together by Christ. Why does that matter? Why is that important for us to know and understand? Simply this. If Jesus is preeminent, which we say he is preeminent, then what we need to recognize is the things that Jesus calls us to do and how he calls us to live need to be preeminent or this won't work. This thing here won't work. Your body won't work. The decisions you're making that are opposed to him, they won't work. They're not going to pan out. The whole creation of man is designed to work in the way that Jesus made it to work. And this is what we truly need to recognize, and it's truly what we're rebelling against. And so part of our experience as worshipers of God is to wake up and ask ourselves each day, Lord, how can I live more into the way that you have called me to live. And can I give you just one example that we all break a ton in this? For my church community, which isn't radically different than this church community, you know what we violate the most? And I I don't mean to, I don't mean to make you feel, this is not about guilt and shame, what I'm about to say, okay? And do not raise your hand after I ask this question. (laughs) But as you sit there right now, how many of you are thinking about some of the work you plan to do this afternoon for your job that you make money from? How many of you are making plans right now about how the rest of this day will go and how your rest will end when you leave here? That's problematic. You were not designed to work that way. You are designed, you don't even have to take weekend. Like the whole America, five work five days and two. You can reject that if you want to. You want to work six days? God says, all right, go for it. I designed you that way. You can work six days if you want to. 
But one day, out of those seven, you need to stop. I won't cry right now, but I want to because, friends, we are killing ourselves because we won't do this. Do you know how often I see marriages falling apart? People in addictions, people with lives destroyed, torn apart, because even this very basic, straightforward, easy-to-prove principle in Scripture made the top ten on the list, even within the top ten, it makes the top five of things for us to do, given to us by the preeminent creator of the world, to simply rest for 24 hours, we won't do it. And so when we talk about how far, we, how far removed we are from, from perfection, it's, it's more than you ever imagined. And even that's covered by the cross. So even if you do work this afternoon, Jesus loves you. He weeps with you. He intercedes for you. He desperately calls you to stop and rest and live in his pattern. But my word, these are the things that are so valuable for us to recognize. I think, I think that's part of what Paul's trying to scream out. I'm resting. And the church is still going. And it's going to be okay. And I bet Paul would have been the first to say, I didn't realize that was going to happen. I thought certainly once they got thrown in prison, this thing was over. Third point. Uh, Jesus' story is our story. And would just love to direct your attention to a few things here at the end. Jesus' story is our story. First, um, our church is meant to be led by Jesus. Why is Canyon Creek hosting New Life Fremont services for two months? Why would Canyon Creek hire somebody, pay their salary for them, and say, hey, for the next five weeks, we want you to go to Fremont and continue to run the church in Fremont? It's not so you would clap. <laughs> you were clapping. You Thank you. Um, it's not so you would clap. It's not so you would say, oh, that Canyon Creek, that's a really neat place. Good job, Kev. Good choice. That's awesome. No, no, no. You are just as much of the kingdom of God as we are at Canyon Creek. We desire to see a church in Fremont just as much as we desire to see one in San Ramon. It isn't, it isn't a miraculous thing we're doing. And surely appreciation is nice, but that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because Jesus is the head of the church and he is the head of, of San Ramon just as much as Fremont, just as the one in Hayward that Rich is at right now, just as much as the one in, in Castro Valley that, that Wade is leading right now. We have a lot of hurting churches. We have a lot of churches at the stage that you're at and they're all valid. What you all have committed to do here in Fremont to continue to preach the gospel, even when it's hard, even when perhaps it isn't going to fulfill every dream and wish you ever had of a church, you desire to worship here and to serve here and to keep the light of the gospel flickering to whomever you are attached to. That's honorable. I'd much more applaud all of you for what you're choosing to do than to applaud for a little bit of sacrifice for a church in San Ramon 
I'd much rather support Amos as he's on his way to give him something that's healthier than to say, hey, it was nice knowing you, and Kevin, throw you the high five, and we're out. Come on. What's kingdom-oriented about that? And so when we read that, that, that Jesus is the king of the church, we take that serious. And so all of you, as you are doing this experiment that is New Life Fremont, the, 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 you haven't lost your priest. You haven't lost your prophet. You have not lost your king. He is just as much full eyes opened here as he is in any other church. And that's to our glory. Jesus' story is our story. And so much more than this, we recognize that the gift that we have been given as the church is the very gift of God. And what is the gift that Paul is seeing that we have to give? We have the, 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 the joy of giving away the work that he did on the cross, Right? That's what we have as the church to give away. No more work on our part. No more work from us. It is about receiving the work that he has done. And he went first. He went to the cross. He died. He defeated death. He sits at the right hand of God in his new body, in his new flesh. He is real and he has promised that anything that the church does, any work of reconciliation that the church does, it will be honored in heaven by him. That is the gift that we have been given to do as the church. In this way, Jesus' story is our story. His work of reconciliation is our work of reconciliation. Our job is to remember who are we here for? Who are we here for? And I'll just simply end with this. How am I doing on time? Should we be ending in one minute? Or are we okay? Can I share one story? Do we all have enough pay? Okay. Who are we here for, right? Yesterday we came home on an airplane. And I didn't want to talk to much of anybody. I was tired. But the Lord in his providence chose this heavier set man. I only mention that because I'm heavier set, so I'm not suggesting he's any bigger than me. But we were both two big guys sitting next to each other on the plane. I'm an introvert. He's an extrovert. And so I am not one of those Christians who thinks to himself, the guy next to me, on the plane is about to hear about Jesus. I'm more like the guy on the plane isn't going to be annoyed by an overaggressive Christian, okay? You can fault me on that all you want to, but God had a different plan this moment. So this guy starts talking and come to find this same-sex attracted man, um, really difficult life, hard life. He's broken. He's torn apart. He, he worked for, works for um, the unemployment uh, department for his state so we can get a picture of his life. His life is hearing people yell at him or trying to deceive him all day long. You could see he's ripped apart. He's telling me that this other gentleman that he is attached to, an 80 year old, he's a 50 year old. And, you know, so I'm packing that in my mind a little bit that their relationship is strained. So he's going on this vacation just to get away from that. And he's telling me all of this. And I'm sitting there going, Did I not mention I'm a pastor? And, and you're just sharing, like, here we are. And I'm going, like, God, the church is for me. And this is, I don't feel like working right now. That's what was in my heart. And, 
by God's grace, I repented from that as quick as I could, and I just started asking him questions. And if I could offer this as just a thought methodologically for you, I was not thinking in my mind and heart that I could get him all the way anywhere. In my mind and heart, I'm thinking, God, you've brought him here. I know I can help him take a step. I'm sure that's why I'm having this conversation. I'm sure it's not coincidental. You're doing something. I'm never going to have any idea what you're doing it for. Um, but you've brought him here. Let me just help him take one more step. You know, So mustered all my braveness, and we talked about my perspective and where I come from and, and that sort of thing and how I can still love him even in that space and how we can connect and how it's hard. I even apologize for the church. And he was like, you don't need to do that. And I said, I know I don't, but you know, hey, it's, we're not doing so great here. And he was talking to me about his church experience and how his mom hates him because she's a Catholic and Catholics hate same-sex attracted people. And so he's dealing with that and wrestling that. And he's, whatever, we're talking. And the truth that sits upon me in this conversation is the same truth that I think I recognized as I drove through your town, and I thought to myself, you guys have a lot of opportunities. I drove past, I drove past this woman five blocks from here. She was just sitting in front of her house. I don't know if any of you drove my same pathway, maybe saw her. She's she just sitting there. She just looked like things were hard. Part of me, just, I'm not this bold, I'm not this guy, but maybe some of you are. I just thought about pulling over and just seeing what was hard for her, you know? Um, there's a lot of exciting opportunity here for the church to be the church, for you to walk into that space where God's story is your story and the story of your church. And, and so what I'm just trying to recognize in my own life, again, my life is not about me. My life is about recognizing that Jesus is preeminent in all things. And I want to have my eyes open to every single opportunity where I can share the love of the gospel, the reconciliation work of the gospel, and this future hope we have, that we can have a new flesh and have a new body like Christ. And so I pray this is encouragement to you. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we will have our time. Father God, I thank you so much that we could gather here as the church and be a light in Fremont in this moment. It says that you are with us in this moment. Spiritual realities are with us in this moment, and that you are present, God, and that our light shines uh, not only in the material world, but also in the spiritual Lord. And so we would ask that that continue, um, that we would leave this place as a gathered church, and that we would go out and continue to uh, present the gospel in whatever way, manner in which you would afford us. And so thank you for Paul. Thank you for his word. And thank you for these reminders from his truth. Amen.